0: The following was recorded at San Francisco Comic-Con on June 9th, 2018. Thank you to Monty Cooper from Oric for joining me for a fun-filled panel with excellent audience questions. Tune in, and I hope you enjoyed the show. Welcome all. Is everyone having a good con? Yeah. Outstanding. It's our, it's our hope to continue that.
1: We want to make this the best con for you. One thing we want to encourage you is If there's a question you have, we want it to be iterative, so don't hesitate to raise your hand and ask. So
0: So how many people is this your first con experience? Awesome. Very, very cool. Welcome. Well, let's jump right into it. You watch a Godzilla movie, and you wonder, he's stomping through that city. We see firemen responding, emergency services. Who pays for acts of Godzilla? Uh, actually
1: so, i usually say it's the city of tokyo but yeah. <laughs>
0: we all pay for it in a way uh but it it's actually really interesting when you look at it from an insurance perspective of does your homeowner's insurance cover being stepped on <laughs> and i'm not an insurance defense attorney anymore but i have a friend who is at eSurance and the answer is it could and so it depends if, if like a Godzilla steps on a car and it flies through the air and crashes into your house, that's covered. <laughs> uh, and the 2014 Godzilla, you know, the tsunami that came ashore. Well, if you had flood insurance, that should cover you. If you don't have flood insurance, you probably aren't covered from the flooding. So it's, it's a very f- interesting analysis of what does the insurance policy cover? More importantly, if we did live in a world where this started happening on a regular basis, insurance policies would change because you now need to deal with this because now it's a real thing that's happening. The first round of this would be very confusing with, oh my God, we didn't plan for this.
1: It is is tempting to think of one of those Geico commercials with the guy going, Kaiju invasion of San Francisco? Seen it, we cover it.
0: And if somebody has a radio on, if they could turn it off, that would be wonderful. Okay. Yeah, why don't we close it just so that way it's people can. We're not competing. Ah. Uh, there's there's another factor that's very interesting with Godzilla, and that is, if local governments can sue, and more importantly, who could they sue? Whether Godzilla's comes about from. Uh, nuclear testing or toxic waste, it raises some interesting questions of can we go out and say, hey, our emergency services were taxed because literally all of San Francisco was evacuated from their homes, they're living in the Oakland Coliseum now, that's super complicated, why would anyone drive through Petaluma to get down there? Uh, fascinating issues there. And the is- I think the answer is they can't recover. That there's not just no one to sue, but that's the cost of doing business as a local government. And that comes from some cases on the East Coast where, you know, an airplane crashed into a neighborhood and the city sued the airline saying, Hey, hey, pay us back for your airplane crashing into our neighborhood because we had to have firemen, paramedics, the hospitals were full and all those houses that, that your airplane crashed into pay for it no liability for the airline, because that's the cost of doing business. And so there's some East Coast cases where that's the result of that. The other one, uh, again, I think they spent close to a million dollars on the script for Godzilla 2014. And this should not have happened in the script, but you know, they put the nuclear bomb onto a whale watching boat yeah. <laughs> that has you know, touch screen navigation They don't do that in real life. That's not how those boats work. Moreover, they don't go that fast. So they had two minutes to get it outside of the Golden Gate Bridge. They probably would have gotten to just before the Golden Gate Bridge. And then the nuclear weapon would have detonated in the bay. That means there would be a nuclear tsunami that would hit Alameda, Oakland, and go all the way down to Alviso and up the delta, up to Vallejo, and up further, it would ruin Northern California. And uh, the good news is, housing would be affordable.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: but, but you wouldn't want to live here. Uh, then there's the interesting issue of like, where would people go? Like, would all the people who like fog move to Monterey? Or would you go like, hey, Austin's kind of cool. Let's all move there. And when you have that migration take place, what's the impact on the electoral map? Because California could lose congressional seats and it might turn Texas blue because of all the former Californians that are now living in Austin or Phoenix, places where Godzilla shouldn't get to in the future. And would California, California turn red because of the leftover people in the Central Valley and the South? So there's some interesting legal ramifications if Godzilla actually hit the coast. Well, there, I, I I point out that there are actual
1: precedents that are analogous and that we do know and all of you have witnessed. And that, for instance, the most pertinent is the Hurricane Katrina situation. Uh, the, the, we started talking about who pays for acts of Godzilla. If you consider Godzilla to be an overgrown elephant essentially. And there are cases where elephants get out and go on rampage. It's an act of God. There, uh, There's no real liability unless the elephant was released for, um, by negligence from a zoo or something. Um, and as you may recall for Katrina, the only way that there was any means to recovery and it became a gigantic political issue is under the Federal Emergency Management Act, which delegates certain amounts of funding from Congress for exceptional disaster situations, similar thing just happened last year in Puerto Rico. That's really about the only response you have, and if you had a, you know, a large kaiju suddenly massively appear on your shores, um, it would be very hard to postulate uh, some source of liability except in the case of Godzilla, you probably would have creative attorneys because we know how this works <laughs> <laughs> who would probably try and uh, identify that as the product of nuclear radiation and try and get an environmental claim against <laughs> for uh, for the cleanup The other funny analogy uh, that you can think of is back in the nineteen early 80s uh, Skylab came down uh, that was our our responsibility we put that lab up in space nasa did and nasa's a civilian agency remember they're not an uh, they're not uh, an agency of the of the military the um when when skylab came down of course it landed in the outback of australia much to the chagrin of the australian government Uh, the australian government wanted to have us uh, pay for that and they actually charged us for the cleanup costs for garbage retrieval, that was actually what they classified, and that, despite it being only say a few thousand dollars or whatever, it was a disputed amount. NASA refused to pay until like this past decade when they did it out of just for good, you know, good relations with the country of Australia. So you can imagine if 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 uh, Japan accidentally. You know, released a Gamora or a, a Godzilla or something, and it decided to cross the Pacific Ocean and visit Los Angeles or or uh, San Francisco. We might want to, ha- you know, recover from the government of Japan, and they would rightfully be able to say, uh, "Well, sorry, but no." <laughs>
0: <laughs> and the other other fun fact is, you can't sue the government for a nuclear weapon going off. <laughs> Because people have tried with all the nuclear weapons tests in Nevada, because like people had broken windows, cracked houses, so they sued. No liability, because they're just testing weapons, and that's the government's job. You can't recover for that. Now, in our list, on an interesting note, we do have an option for, under some of the federal uh, fishing acts, that if uh, the fishing population has been devastated because, you know, like, what does Rodan eat? Um, <laughs> there could be federal funds to help fishermen in trying to restock fish as well. So there's some interesting, fun issues there. Well, let's, let's pivot to what I think is the first kaiju because he's the inspiration for everything else that follows. And that's King Kong. Now, there are those who argue that a kaiju has to be a man in a rubber suit. <laughs> uh, the reason, uh, Ishiro Honda Know, c- could not have the special effects guys pull that off with you know the 1954 Godzilla, is the stop motion animation would have taken too long to do. And so thus they did the rubber suit. So I think Kong is kaiju, and especially when you look at the Japanese uh, Kong movies, King Kong versus Godzilla and King Kong Escapes. And he wins. And he, and <laughs> <laughs> he does. Um, and doesn't die in either of them. Uh, they're fun. Uh, but I, I think Kong is a kaiju and I think he's the first kaiju because he inspires everything else that, that comes with 20,000 uh, fathoms under the sea and and uh, ultimately Godzilla. But Monty, well, could you explain uh, first the family connection and and your thoughts on whether Kong is protected by the Endangered Species Act? <laughs>
1: All right, well, I'm going to start with a, a major qualifier. In my real life, uh, my my largest pro bono client that I do extensive amount of work for is, is the Animal Legal Defense Fund, uh, and I am the grand nephew of the man who created King Kong. So, as you might guess, I'm extraordinarily pro kaiju. <laughs> <laughs> um, sadly, even my best abilities to try and come up with a plausible explanation. Uh, basis to say that King Kong, despite being the last of his species in in the original King Kong, is not protected by the environment or by the Endangered Species Act because of the unique way that act works. The Endangered Species Act requires the government to identify in advance the species that are protected, and it has to be directed to native species. Uh, and this is a real major problem with kaiju when it comes to the Endangered Species Act. Invasive species are not covered, and if there's one thing kaiju are, they are invasive. <laughs> they, they are uh, the probably, it's like almost their genetic makeup. Um, King Kong is almost the, the classic example of the loopholes that can exist in environmental laws. We also have international treaties, and we even have treaties, for instance, with Japan that... Um, but most importantly with North America and uh, Canada and, and, uh, and Mexico and, and a number of other countries to protect species for inter, intercontinental trade. Largely, it's designed to protect against the trade of, for instance, ivory uh, uh, and to protect species that are going extinct by virtue of agreements on bilateral protection of that species. If, if they'll protect ours, we will say that we will not allow that species to be imported. Um, or or to punil- or punish anybody who tries again though what happens with king kong well he's native to somewhere around java and Matra or something he's a unique species so he isn't listed under any treaty in fact it's not clear skull island who who has the rights to that island in, in the most recent movie we even the president of the united states authorizes us to invade it without consequence yeah <laughs> um the uh so he, he is not identified as a, as a protected species. And even if he were, he would be in, uh, invasive. There's also the problem that you have to um, a host of uh, other legal issues as to what is a species. Uh, it, you would have to identify as gorilla type and, and the like. And in fact, it's kind of a, a a horrible thing to say, but kaiju in general just can't be protected. There's a, We were actually having a funner time trying to figure out one that was. Um, and the closest two that we candidates we came up with is again my great uncle, another one of his works, Mighty Joe Young, uh, because Mighty Joe Young is an African gorilla, and we do protect, uh, we do have the laws bilaterally, and he was illegally imported into the U.S., so uh, he is protected, and in fact the government would have the right to uh, you know, criminally enforce against the people who took him. The other one is our favorite turtle. <laughs> um, good. Gamera. For those of you who have never seen the original, original uh, Kaiju, the Gamera, may recall is just biting his own time for for reasons that a reptile only he could do in the no- the Arctic. Uh, it's never made clear if it's Alaska or somewhere in northern Canada because we the five or six Russian jets mysteriously come fully armed with nuclear warheads into the United States NORAD airspace. And of course, we scramble our jets, and what do they do? They shoot each other down and cause a nuclear bomb. Now, if that happened in real life, whatever's happening right now with the president and Russia and, and <laughs> Russian, that, this would not, this would dominate the news. <laughs> uh, and what does Gamora do? He is a native North American species. So he probably is protected. And of course, like every other kaiju, instead of sticking in North America, he decides to go invade Japan. So so again, hard to say that that would be protected.
0: Which, let's spend some time with our favorite turtle, because he's my favorite kaiju. I'm a big Gamera fan, especially uh, the 90's trilogy, which I think is the best kaiju trilogy ever. And if you haven't seen it, I'm sure somebody has a Blu-ray down there. (laughs) We can, we can fix this, because he's awesome. But it raises a fun legal question of, does Gamera have a duty to save children? <laughs> because he is the friend of all children, and let's be honest, he, kids keep getting abducted by aliens in the 60s, and he keeps saving them every time. So we got... We have the one with Gauss, you know, and he saves a little kid, the kid rides on the turtle back to his mob boss grandfather trying to sell the town in order for a freeway to be built. We then have uh, kids who go to Planet X on the other side of the sun when the two ladies who want to eat their brains and it's super weird, but, and Gamera knows how to weld a spaceship back together, <laughs> community college class probably, <laughs> and uh, and then the Boy Scouts in accurate uniforms because we do have the Far East Council because for all the expats and military dependents overseas, we have Boy Scouts for them overseas and there are joint events. And so I'm showing the 60s era, they're they're in the right uniforms and things like that existed. However, under the guide to safe scouting, we would never, ever, ever let two Boy Scouts go off in a submarine, (laughs) (laughs) no, fun idea, but we would not do that. But these kids keep getting in trouble, and Gamera keeps saving them. So is there a duty to rescue? So under the general principles of the law, there's no common law duty to rescue. So you could watch a kid drown. You're not legally required to go save them. That makes you a horrible human being. (laughs) (laughs) Just want to be clear about that. You are a bad person if you go, like, wow, that's too bad. Someone should save him. I wish somebody would do something. You're a bad person, but not legally obligated to go do that. However, there are three exceptions. There can be a statute that says, that creates liability, like parents have to take care of their kids. Like, again, things that we want. Uh, There can be a contractual relationship. So, you know, if people out on, uh, again, there are contractual relationships. It could be part of your job. You know, again, firemen go like, wow, that, that poor kid. Oh, wait, that's me, I should do something. That's their job. Yeah, yeah the, the, the police, well, that looks super dangerous. <laughs> <laughs>
3: the starting building looks really warm. Yeah, I don't,
0: I'm not going to tag in for that one. No, all, all bad. But then there's the third, and that's implied. So based upon a relationship between a tortfeasor and a third party, that there can be an implied duty to go out and save somebody. The fact Gamera keeps going out and saving kids who get abducted by aliens might create an expectation that if you do get abducted by aliens and you have this mantra that you're the friend of all kids, there's an implied contractual duty that Gamma is going to come save you. Now, just as a little point from foreign policy, that if you get abducted by aliens and there's a giant monster swimming around and, and they issue an ultimatum of surrender the entire population to be enslaved or the two children die, the response will be open fire because either way, the kids are going to be slaves. People are going to die. So do we sacrifice 7 billion people for two kids? And we wouldn't do that. Um, now, granted, that's just me being the hawk of we're not going to roll over and take that. But it's funny in, in, in the, the Gamera movies, when that sort of thing happens, it's like, we got to save those kids. Let's surrender. No, we wouldn't do that. But Gamera saves the day because that's what he does. Uh, so, again,
1: we have a question. Yeah. Oh, no, I,
3: I got the it. It duty to act. Then. Okay. okay. For,
1: for I will say, you know, for those that want to step aside from Kaiju, it's interesting yeah. what Josh just said, because the very premise that he's, he described about whether we have a duty to save a handful of children at the expense of a larger population of the earth, for those of you who never saw it, that was the entire point of the television series Torchwood. The uh, uh, the second series I believe, or third series.
0: <clears throat> I'm not going to chase the rabbit, so we're going to fight. <laughs> we're going to stay focused, but we can. We'll talk. <laughs> Let, let's pivot back to Kong, where we take Kong, who's just chilling on 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 Skull Island, killing T Rexes because that's what he does, and then he's turned into a vaudeville act, and because there's flashbulbs going off and the, uh, he gets aggravated. He breaks free of the chrome chains and goes stomping through New York City, picking people up, chewing them up, spitting them out, pulls a lady out of the window, throws her down. In the Peter Jackson version, blonde women are picked up randomly and thrown to the side, so duty to warn them. Uh, Monty, what are your thoughts on Carl Denham's liability for that massive attack?
1: Carl Denham's liability goes back 2,000 years. <laughs> uh, and it, it, I'm not exaggerating. It, it, one of the oldest and most respected and still in existence common law rules that predates England, it still exists in the United States in, most, uh, in both statutorily and by common law, is that uh, you are strictly liable for the care of a wild animal. Um, and you probably have heard multiple stories that are far more familiar to you with here in California, people who have held um, mountain lions as pets and that they've gotten out and have caused damage, sometimes to other humans, sometimes to poultry and to others. The law is, it's just like being rear-ended on the highway. You are presumed liable. Um, the uh, the So Carl Denham, think about it. He goes to a foreign gun country, uh, island and has the bright idea to bring back a 30-foot gorilla and highlight it in Broadway. Uh, it, that gorilla, with no testing of it, uh, had already shown a propensity to kill. It largely decimated his his crew while on school, Skull Island. But let's still bring it back, you know, make a, make a good movie out of that. Um, and then, of course, uh, what goes wrong, can go wrong, does go wrong. King Kong becomes the first modern uh, victim of the paparazzi. Uh, uh, and boy, does he take it out on New York after, after that happens. Um, and it's really funny because a much far, far less known film that came out also in 1933 um, It was, was Son of Kong. Um, King Kong was such a hit that it, this was the very progenitor of our modern movie concept of if you have a really big special effects film, get the next one out as fast as possible. And they actually rushed to get Son of Kong out. But the movie starts with the fact that Carl Denham is fleeing New York because he's subject to twelve lawsuits <laughs> from people who have suffered property and personal loss damage.
0: He's he's dodging process surfers. It's the most accurate depiction of what could happen. Was, I, I watched it when we were preparing. And was like this is really really true to life. <laughs> And uh, you know,
1: and like every other lawyer, he finds a way to profit from this. He yeah. <laughs> he goes back to Skull Island, finds another gorilla, kills it, but gets a treasure. <laughs> you know, um, but uh, there is no question the um, the the law of strict liability for animals. I said goes back two thousand years. You might might guess why it goes back to Roman. It was a concept of Roman law. Why? Because guess what the Romans did? They kept wild animals, and even the Roman Republic couldn't take, you know, getting, having lions and jaguars running around in Rome. So this doctrine is one of the oldest and most respected in the law. It, Denim is doomed.
0: Yeah. It's a, he makes mention of having a, a $10,000 box office for that one night, and I, did, I looked it up for the in inflation calculator, so it's like just under $100,000 for one night. It's not enough (laughs) when people get chewed up ladies dropped out of windows not okay so uh now the treasure they find i I won't spoil what happens in the emotionally traumatic son of kong but i repressed the memory watching it as like a seven-year-old and when i watched it again i was like i remember this i remember being very upset and if you watch it you will too uh but it's a lot of fun well,
1: I have a question for you. The yes. better question and much harder is whether the, um, the second character in, in the film, Devin, whether he's liable. Yeah, all he does is he pursues Fey Ray for most of the movie. Uh-huh. And he incurs the wrath of Kong, Kong, I should say, because of just being a rival for Fei Um But he does know about Kong's propensity for violence. He does, in fact, he is an employee. Um, or a contractor, and he does in fact participate in the you might call abduction of Kong t- from School Island to New York, and of course he eventually pursues Ray all the way to the top of the uh, the Empire State Building. But as a as a lawyer, lo- an employee with personal knowledge, he could easily be found liable under certain theories as a, um, as negligent for his failure to take action to try and stop Denham. Cool. Uh, it's a much harder question, but it is possible that he himself is liable as well.
0: Yep. Well, let's pivot to the most successful kaiju movie, the gold standard that's for profitability, and that's King Kong versus Godzilla. Yep. So that made the most money out of all the Godzilla movies, and every one that came out afterwards was compared to that for box office success. In that, we have uh, Mr. Uh, Takeo, who uh, has a pharmaceutical company, and he wants a new marketing plan. So he sends out people to, go find me a monster. That is the worst idea <laughs> for marketing. How could we make a name for ourselves? Get me a really big destructive monster, and let's go for it. He and is, br- bring him back.
1: He is the only pharmaceutical executive who might be more hated than Pharma Bro. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so,
0: so it's accurate because when he gets on his ship, and he's happy, to, and he's in his you know, spelunking gear and, like, trying to look like he's tough, uh, the Japanese Coast Guard boards and says, we don't want Kong coming ashore. We will arrest you. No. And and he's upset about this, going, like, what do you mean no? And Kong gets out because of things happen. Uh, but he should be on the hook. He's actually arguably more reckless than Carl Denham. He and arms
1: the people to go <laughs> to go g- take Kong.
0: Yeah, it's a really bad plan. Grossly irresponsible. Reckless. And when you think of the number of people who get killed because of what happens, uh, he would really be on the hook.
1: Oh, and let's not forget that because he brings Kong to Tokyo... Godzilla wakes up. It's like, ooh, who's this new guy in town? <laughs> so he, he he manages to get two, uh, two kaiju to come <laughs> to the location. Really, really... Uh, that pharma company is doomed.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, let's talk about uh, one of the more complex kaiju movies. Uh, it's, they're, they're brilliant. They're confusing. They are weird. Uh, but you get to see the, the uh, suit actor's eyes unlike any other of them. And that's War of the Gargantuas. Now, if you haven't seen War of the Gargantuas, we have to back up and talk about Frankenstein Conquers the World. What? Buckle up, because this is going to get a little funky. Uh, the plot is weird. So, end of World War II, the Germans have the immortal heart of Frankenstein. They send it to Japan on a submarine. I don't remember if it's a U-boat or one of the Japanese submarines, but it, they take it back to Japan. They take it to Hiroshima. August 6 happens and the United States wins the war. Coming to the early 60s, the heart grows into a little boy. <laughs> Scientists now take the little boy and start raising it and they call him Frankenstein because they figure out what happened. He's Caucasian. And he keeps growing and turns into a giant kaiju. He's the brown one. And the fight that happens with uh, another kaiju in the original movie, cells get scraped off of Frankenstein. They grow into another kaiju. That's aquatic base. And the movie opens with uh, is it, uh, Gera taking out a ship and eating people. It is really, really violent. Uh, there is a blonde actress who appears in the story, and she has a really memorable song with uh, the words get stuck in my throat. You can imagine what happens to her. <laughs> so, with this green kaiju running around eating people, are the scientists at all liable? Monty. Monty.
1: Uh this thing started with Nazi Germany everybody's liable. Uh, <laughs> uh, um, yeah uh <laughs> the, first of all it's a, a, an unlicensed uh, genetic experiment. They I I don't think anybody in this room needs to be a lawyer to know that's that that description by itself says something's wrong. Um it produces a cannibalistic uh, literal giant that decides to get into another cannibalistic fight with his uh, his alternate twin who is equally violent and yeah a whole a whole bunch of people die yeah the, that that uh, that the best analogy i can say is it's sort of like um all those movies that you see about plagues being created in the laboratory the laboratory is going to be liable in those situations yeah well
4: can we call it a cannibal?
0: uh it, well, maybe well, um, yeah it's it, it's a really weird i mean it's when I saw it,
1: I was really confused <laughs> um what cannibalism just so you know is not defined by being a human activity it's one ma- kind
4: eating the same of its own kind.
1: right, so um Okay, I guess you, I see your point. We're, 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 we're more into the X-Files territory. <laughs> uh, Maybe. Uh, we would need to
0: do some testing and have a couple expert opinions to really weigh in on that and answer Sorry, it. I
2: just had to make things difficult.
0: No, no, no. This, this is what happens with the law and lawyers. This is why you call in experts to figure out what's going on and then we argue it. So it is weird, uh, and complicated. Yes, sir.
3: And they, they've already failed because they were, it would be human experiment, so they'd have to go through their IRB. So they're already completely off their legal ground. Yeah. Well, yeah. If yeah, so well, you, you want to do any human experiment, you have to go through the internal university of IRB to get approval for experimentation on
0: humans. Yeah, but they found him and, you know, running around in the woods or wherever. No, it's still,
2: it's, 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 it's a human? It yeah.
0: In the United States,
1: you, any type of experimental testing relating to a biological agent has to be pre-approved by the Food and Drug Administration. They're, they're, believe me, in, in, when it comes to kaiju movies, the bureaucracy is out the window unless they are something that's going to get stomped on by the kaiju. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir.
3: Did, uh, I haven't seen the movie. Did they actually like run tests and stuff, or they just find them like, oh, hey? They found know, them. Know, they just
4: watched them grow up. Performing experiments? They,
0: they were of course were performing experiments but they were also trying to raise him. And and cuz again that's what you do with a little kid because we're people and we're not evil. So the 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 brown kaiju is the good one and he's the protector and he he helps people and he helps save Tokyo from being attacked. So it's it's all good.
3: So wouldn't you have to just say what like what the difference is between running tests on him like as a physical like I would go to the doctor and get a physical, and what are experiments they're yeah. testing
0: on? That is a that is a good point. The other thing that there that could be a huge issue for liability is the army wants to go in guns blazing to fight them, and the scientists are going like, no, don't do that because every piece that you knock off could grow into another one. That's bad, and so that's where uh, this is the first one where we see the maser cannons deployed. That that then pop up in in other Godzilla movies. And we, we now have a lot of interest. So you and then you. <laughs> yes. yeah,
3: I had a question about, uh, so really you talked about uh, someone having strict liability for ant- uh-huh. animals under their care. But you also mentioned case of wild animals escaping from uh-huh. the zoo because of uh, an accident. Yeah. So why wouldn't the zoo be liable? For
1: Do you, that's a, it's a really good question. It actually um, is one of the earliest developments in the common law of the United States was an exception for zoos. And the reason is is the public uh, service they serve. So therefore, unlike any other, most states now codify it, make statutes make it that, so that it's an easy answer to put. the Our our legislatures have made it so that they're not liable, typically, under those situations. Um, sometimes, though, uh, you can obviously have constitutional uh, takings. For instance, if a wild animal escapes from the zoo, since it's uh, administrated by the state, and if that wild animal goes and eats Say uh, livestock, you maybe you don't have a negligence claim, but you do have a Fifth Amendment claim to say that was taking a property by the public by the government. Um, but uh, but as a general rule, it's just uh, that early in New York law. That's where a lot of this all arose. The, they created a com- um, a common law exception for zoos because of the desire to protect this, uh, their their public po- um, benefit, and that and that's the only reason
4: the Nazis find the heart and they have to put it on, on a submarine to take it to Japan. Um, what would be the lines if they were doing experiments on the heart in international waters that were not waters of, of like directly involved countries that were directly involved in the water? Oh, That's
0: actually easy and, and the water doesn't matter because the fact it's on uh, either a German U-boat or an Imperial Japanese submarine. Uh, those are State operatives, and so it's it's their responsibility because those warships are government uh, belong to the country, and that's just through international custom. Yeah, yeah. So, and, and and that took place in Frankenstein Conquers the World, which I recommend if you just want a really good head trip. So, <laughs> let's talk about. Oh, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't see and, your hand.
3: And uh, if once Imperial Japan and uh, Nazi Germany fall with their successor states. Be liable.
0: That's that that gets into the treaty, uh, the uh, surrender documents, and everything else. Oh, I see. I
3: see. So, so, but the unconditional surrender of Japan would mean that Japan's new government is
0: as
1: as, a, as a general rule. That was exactly how those issues were handled in in uh, the post war era. But to go back. Um, the maritime rule that Josh is talking yeah. about—you, you all probably have seen it on a daily basis. It's the flag on the ship. Mm-hmm. Every ship is flagged, and they all are extraordinarily regulated. How you get that flag, by choosing that flag, by international custom, it doesn't matter if the whole ship say uh, is made up of Americans. If it's flagged Panamanian, Panamanian law applies. But by by virtue of that, certain liabilities attach also because of that choice because the flag has been authorized by that nation. It actually goes back, again, it's an interesting point, it goes back hundreds of years. It's the only way that the countries could formulate a mechanism to regulate the many disputes that happened, particularly in the 19th century as a result of the fact that the, uh, international trade was on the high seas.
0: Yeah, but it's also different for warships. And so that's the that's why you don't see salvage of warships, because they're, they're generally war graves and they belong to that nation. So let's pivot. Since we're talking oh, about... We, we have book oh, books. I'm sorry.
4: Just going back to wild animals being uh, accident-released. How about when it's an act of nature or act of war? Say a zoo is bombed during an act of war, like in Iraq, and the animals, like a, and the lions, escaped from the zoo in Iraq, would that
1: be? That comes under the international conventions of war and would be considered collateral damage as a general rule. But know. it would result in the condemnation of the country that perhaps resulted in an unintended uh, uh, human population da- uh, killings and the like. But if you think about it, far more extreme examples happen all the time in which we accidentally bomb schools. Yeah, yeah. And
0: yeah, but, but it, it is fascinating to go like, why would you target the zoo? <laughs> yeah. it was just yeah, sorry. Uh, speaking of the military, let's discuss whether or not the United States has a treaty obligation to defend Japan from Godzilla. Because if you s- if you saw Shin Godzilla, that was one of the the big issues, and, and with them going like, can we just get the Americans to kill it for us? And the lawyer in me was giddy with them discussing, you know, our treaty with them and going like, well, we need to do something first. We don't know if this thing actually qualifies as an armed invasion of our country. Uh, it meets the spirit of the treaty, absolutely, because, you know, when you think of all the tens of thousands of service people and families that we have in Japan, it's not like we go like, whoa, that's all on you guys, let us know how this turns out. No, we'd be like locked and loaded, like, hey, you guys need a hand?
4: We also discovered- Yeah. world
0: in that, so we were considered like, under threat. Yeah. The, the, but yes, we're under threat, but not under what's actually defined under the, under the treaty, because the language under the treaty is an armed attack, and Godzilla is a giant animal that shoots lasers out of it, or radiation, depending on what era that we're looking at, and depending on the hands as well. So... Uh, but he's like a big tank marching through your city. Well, the United States would not go like, we're out. Because it's not that far to Hawaii. And after that, it's not that far to, oh, San Francisco or Portland or Seattle. So it's like, eh, we're happy to help you guys out now before it's in our backyard. Uh, because maybe as it keeps knocking out countries, the ability to fight it will decrease. Uh, which is where uh, Godzilla Monster Planet kind of alludes to it but that one was kind of weird with all the (laughs) stuff Uh, but I technically uh, it's not under the treaty it's under the spirit of the treaty and it's not like we would just abandon one of our closest allies in the Pacific to a giant monster
1: I'm going to keep my political views to yeah. myself. Well, <laughs> the current administration might.
0: Historically, <laughs> yeah. everybody else and the one that will come after us. We would not. We would not leave them.
1: We did. Them. We did them with the tariffs. Yeah.
3: <laughs> you, then you, then you. Yes. Okay. So, what if Japan didn't want our help, but we felt that Godzilla is big enough of a threat? Could we force our help on them?
0: No, that would be a bad plan. I would, unless Japan fell. I, you know, I would not, I would do, I do not think the government would intervene. We would wait for it to, after it was finished, we would then have no problem getting that bill through Congress of going like, okay, we're declaring war on Godzilla. Let's do this. I'm
1: going to tell you, though, that your question is great because there is actually a really famous historical analogy in our, our doctrine that was the precise problem we faced in 1914 when we were deciding whether to go after Pancho Villa. Mm. Uh, and in fact, the, the administration made the concerted decision that notwithstanding Mexico's vehement warnings that we were not permitted to go into their country to go after someone that had intervened in our country. You know, he had hit several so, some uh, Arizona and New Mexico cities and caused severe death. We sent in our army to go after him for almost seven months. Uh, And, and that is exactly the analogy that you, that it is in precedent that we have done it. Yeah.
0: Also, when you look at, you know, all the countries in South America where we, we had our own mini Vietnam in the 1930s, or actually 1920s, uh, down there, yeah, there's, there's a lot, there's a weird, odd history that we have. But Godzilla would be hard to miss. Um, (laughs) This also raises the the legal issues for us because we have the War Powers Act, which was born out of Vietnam, uh, that we would want to give congressional authorization for the president to use military force. Now, going back to Thomas Jefferson, we passed a force bill so we could go fight the Barbary Pirates. Uh, We've had uh, legislation for the war on terror. like we've, We've passed declarations of war that aren't declarations of war, they're force bills, or my favorite when we passed one to go hunt down and eliminate the Klan in 1870. like So like we, we're not afraid to go do that. And we would have to do something similar for Godzilla, because Congress would want to go, uh, we have to fund this, because you're not going to knock this out in a weekend. So because it's probably going to take a little time, and we're going to probably need uh, uh, to develop some technology to, in order to do it, uh, and they have to move very quickly.
1: Oh.
3: If Godzilla came ashore, and he always seems to pick on San Francisco.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, he's gone after New York. Yeah. <laughs> um, and
3: we declared war on oh. Godzilla, and we killed Godzilla, during which we damaged some of San Francisco. Who would pay then? Would the government be liable to clean up the mess it made, killing the monster it was at war?
0: Well... Prior to the current administration, I, my position was it'd be absolutely stupid if there was a disaster uh, that required federal help and, if, and the federal government ignored Northern California. Yeah, But a precedent has been recently set, uh, twice, uh, where that happen and where that has happened. So they could, it's bad politically. And it shows a dereliction of duty to your citizens, where you just let people who have either been ravaged by a forest fire or hit with a hurricane, who are U.S. citizens, to be left to suffer without power for seven months. So we should help. That's something that Can should... Can I sue? Uh, Do the people of Puerto Rico start lawsuits? No, but they should... They should consider it. Well, but it, that's just me being a hawk. In
1: yours, in your, in your scenario, I would say again, I'd go back. There are some uniqueness that separates it from like the hurricane cases. If we bombed, yeah, if yes. we sent in an F-16 and it and it was responsible for the you know, Transamerica Tower disappearing, uh, that would probably be a situation where they could say that's a taking. Uh, no. it, it, it certainly would be a situation because the government can never. Take your property without just compensation. It doesn't mean you would be adequately compensated. (laughs) Uh, it doesn't mean that at all, but it does, there would probably be remedies. And there are some interesting ones like, you know, very few people probably have ever thought about the third amendment. It's never been litigated, but the third amendment prohibits the housing, involuntary housing of soldiers in civilian housing. Goes back to the situation that existed in the revolution. So if, you know, they sent in the military and they decided to, um, take advantage of the lower rents that they uniquely can do in San Francisco that the rest of us can't, that might have also civil rights issues.
4: Yes, sir. So this is back to the question of you know, Japan requesting assistance from the United States. So Japan requests assistance from the United States to take out Godzilla, and we accidentally destroy a number of you know Japanese buildings, kill Japanese citizens while trying to destroy or kill Godzilla is the United States liable for reparations for that because the the country of Japan asked for the outside assistance? And and I'm not saying just the United States specifically, any country coming in to assist Japan or.
0: I don't know what the collateral damage cases are in war, like what what we've done in the past. Uh Just as a good neighbor policy that it would be, it's bad TV and bad politics to go like well we helped decimate a place and we're just going to leave it we should help fix it
1: yeah that historically reparations are negotiated as bilateral treaties at the end of the war that yeah they're for the the country that loses like germany did in world war one uh has very little bargaining power and hence the reparations are very severe that's also what happens as, as i hate to say it but there's a lot of truth in the legality of to the victor goes the spoils I mean, it, it, there's a lot of truth to that when you're talking about the law of war.
3: Speaking of
4: spoils, <laughs> um, Yeah, the
3: <laughs>
4: thinking, of this, uh, thinking about my favorite kaiju movie, which is Pacific Rim, there there become, there become exists, if this was to happen regularly, there then exists this um, uh, whole network, and granted, it's mostly the black market, but they do imply that there's legal trade and use for kaiju parts, it's if the United States assisted Japan with Godzilla, would we have the right like, to then and like like begin sort of experimentation on Godzilla, or would Japan have the right to begin that experimentation if they were to? Notice that there's something about Godzilla that would be useful or any other kaiju. Uh, who, who, who gets the carcass name? Who gets the I think
0: in rem jurisdiction kicks in yeah, because it, it that probably does, yeah. Because but that's they, they, they probably don't know what that uh, yeah. yeah, So I'm sorry, I use scary lawyer words. <laughs> um, there are, there are multiple ways to get jurisdiction in. You could have like somebody's physically there or property, like, like and that's where in rem comes in. In rem is like the least used so because the fact the carcass is in japan the japanese government would probably have the first claim to it uh however if we were the ones who took them out for them we should have an agreement of like we need to figure this thing out because there should be an easier way to kill it if another one comes back so let's let's work together uh i would i would encourage cooperation if we were in that situation because yeah now we um could we we have like 15 minutes or 13 minutes and there's one other topic that we want to hit, but then we can have other questions. And that is, and it might answer a few questions, who cleans up uh, uh, hetero cleanup costs? You know, like Who pays for that? You know, the smog monster, you know, do the oil companies get hit with the bill? So Monty, what are some of your thoughts for toxic torts?
1: Well, it, here's the funny thing. First of all, you have to think about it if, if hetero were here in the United States or whether he's in Japan. Um, Japan environmental laws are somewhat uh, more flexible than they are in the US. So if you have a smog monster that is the creation of a uh, series of uh, effluent disbursements from a number of industrial sites, in the United States we actually have a number of regulatory mechanisms to actually collect on that. They're called the Comprehensive Environmental Resource Recovery Act, better known as CERCLA, the Resource Conservation Recovery Act, better known as RCRA. Uh, Clean Water Act, Clean Air Act, There, th- all these acts actually have private, um, enforcement powers. So, y- there would be a mechanism to go after the parties that created a smog monster. T- you know, I'm sure Los Angeles would have a great claim. <laughs> um, yeah. and often it is actually the local governments that are th- amongst the most vigorous, uh, uh, plaintiffs uh, going after. Now, if it switches to Japan, it becomes a more c- problematical issue. Uh, you don't hear in that movie any suggestion that, oh my God, they, we, are, are, we created this monster, I'm going after X industrial company uh, in Kawasaki or anything like that, and that's because their regime is a little different. There are some laws in Japan that might have applied. One that I really particularly like is they have uh, uh, smell nuisance laws. I mean, I, you don't know for sure, but that monster looks like it probably is pretty putrid. Um, and then there are also... Uh, One of the most vigorously enforced by every country in the world, particularly Japan, given the history that it has suffered, uh, are radioactivity uh, um, statutes that govern uh, insurance that um, you can recover for any negligence that occur from – the horrific uh problems that occur when you have a radioactive spill and of course that might give you a claim against godzilla because that is actually technically at least in some of the movies how he's created and of course his breath may in some people think is a radioactive toxic tort so
0: yes Yep. last issue mothra versus godzilla has a wonderful lesson in property rights because (laughs) property is, uh, we describe it as a bundle of sticks. And this is your bundle of sticks and you can do with it as you want. Well, on Infant Island, Mothra laid an egg. A typhoon hits and the egg washes out to sea. Uh, Fishermen uh, find it. They pull it into a Kawada beach and the town sells it to happy enterprises. (laughs) And they base it upon... Well, the cost of an egg is X. This looks like three billion of them, so that amount. Happy Enterprises is like a twisted evil Walt Disney. He's got the mustache, but he's, he's like lacks a soul. And it's right Godzilla steps on him at the end. But they take the position of like, it's our egg now, we bought it. Well, then the fairies from Infin Island show up speaking in unison, and they go like, that's our egg, give it back. And... Mr. Happy, showing his true humanitarian side, offers to buy the fairies. <laughs> we don't sell and buy people. He's evil. And you now all the protagonists like look at him with like, you're sick, dude. And like they leave. And like Malthus waiting outside. So who owns the egg? Does Does the little town? Do they have a valid, clean title to sell the egg? Well, there's a wonderful case called Genthi Rich that we teach in the first year of law school that, that deals with hunting whales. And a whale was killed off the east coast and the, the the ship put a bomb lance in it, which gave it a mark of appropriation to so this is our whale that we killed. And so when another ship came along and said, Hey, we want that whale, the court gave it to the first ship, going like, No, they it's their bomb lance in it. It's like, you know, putting a brand on a cow. So that's theirs. Applying that to this, you go like, well, the egg kind of had Mothra colors to it. Also, who else would lay a giant egg? <laughs> uh, so we got that going. Uh, and then the, the big kicker is, you know, that thing hatches. You're going to be strictly liable for whatever comes out from it. Do you really want to build an amusement park around that? <laughs> Mr. Happy didn't have a good legal team advising him. He and Mr. Uh, Tanko deserve to go to prison together because they're just really irresponsible business. People, no, they're not good. Um, so, I really do believe that Infant Island had valid title to the egg. That the sale was illeg- illegitimate, and uh, they were very gracious that the larva that came out of it decided to save the small town that originally sold the egg. So, uh, it's a great lesson in property. So, with that, any questions? <laughs> All right, you sir. Then you. Okay. Then, um, then
3: over. Yeah. So there's things, but most it's just in a related box of issues. Uh, so suppose that, that on three separate occasions people provoked a Godzilla-type monster who had the intelligence to understand what was happening. First, the newspaper wrote a scathing editorial or uh, uh, expose of Godzilla's past. Second, a tabloid talked bad things about his mother. And third, a toy <laughs> company made things in the likeness of Godzilla. And if, if Godzilla went off on a rampage to destroy each of these people because he didn't want to hire a legal team, would they be liable for provoking Godzilla knowing that he would be provoked?
0: So, Godzilla should not engage in self-help measures of that nature. Uh, the It's an interesting First Amendment question because you know, under, uh, in California law, we have the, the likeness law that you can't make a, like, There was the brisk TV commercial in the late 90s with claymation of all the dead actors and people dancing. And all their relatives went out and sued the hell out of that company, which in the California legislature then passed a law saying, like, you don't get to do that. So so Godzilla could have standing under that likeness bill. uh, Mm. But provoking Godzilla is an interesting question. Because if he understands he could be english or marketing and want to go nuke a small company uh that's self-help and that's that's beyond the law uh but they but
3: it's not like the the people you're renting your your uh, place of business from could sue you for the loss of their property even though
0: it would have to be a really angry court that would do that monty do you
1: First of all, the newspaper would almost have pure immunity unless you showed actual malice. Yeah. Uh, it would, the First Amendment as it applies to the media, uh, is extraordinarily difficult to beat the uh, actual malice. You actually have to have proof that the reporter is is knowingly lying. Um, as it relates to something like a Yelp situation, which was your, your second scenario, it becomes a little more, um, Unclear, but be, but the First Amendment still typically Godzilla is a um, is a media personality, uh, yeah. <laughs> and public actually, figure. he's a public <laughs> figure. So he, he, you again as private citizens, you also have the same protection of actual malice. So it would be very hard. As to the copyright, there's actually a case that came out within the last year that's analogous, and that's the Monkey Selfie case that was decided here in the Ninth Circuit in California. In fact, it came out only a few months ago. Um, Other than humans, you do not have rights of publicity or rights of copyright.
3: Uh, Yes. So it's a real easy answer. Unless you had already in court established that you were an an entity worthy of those legal protections. But see, the
1: thing is, under U.S. law, as it currently stands, statutorily and by common law, it is specific to the human species. Yeah. S- sentience is not the s- term. T- 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 so,
3: so the scrolls come in, they're angry, it doesn't matter. Galactus yeah. comes in, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Awesome.
0: Yeah. So, I'm going to go out of order because I think your hand was up.
4: Okay, so bringing it back to like Mothra and what we talked about King Kong, would Mothra be protected
0: too? Under the Endangered Species Act? Yeah. If he were born in the U.S.,
1: probably. If he, but in the in the... Uh, Iconic, yeah, the, the movie's theories he's born in the Japan, in fact he's born in an island off of Japan. Would uh,
4: the uh, Convention on International Trade in Endangered
1: Species apply? It could because we, uh, Japan is actually one of our um, our bilateral partners on that, okay. but it requires Japan to identify Mothra as an endangered species and then we will recognize it. <laughs> now given what, yeah, Mothra is generally a pretty uh, good Good uh, kaiju. In fact, I would expect that it will have that role in the forthcoming Godzilla franchise that's coming out in a year or so. Um, the uh, yes, Mothra is going to be in it, <laughs> along with Hydra the three-headed monster, the best villainous kaiju ever.
0: <laughs> yeah, they, that they hired three actors to do motion capture for the heads. So let's get let's get. So, Ready. so the answer
1: would be, if, as long as Japan uh, identified it as a protected species, the answer would be yes. If they failed to, the same problem that happened with Kong. Everyone here is sympathetic, but it, it, it requires that little action by the government. You, sir.
3: Yeah, so it kind of creeps me to say this, but uh, what's your guys' view on Zilla? On, <gasps> on Zilla?
0: That's, the, one that's, that's
3: the, 19, one. the 1997 Godzilla.
0: Oh, yeah, it yeah, they'd Yeah, I. Oh, 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 with Matthew Broderick. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you know we generally don't. Yeah, yeah, Godzilla
1: should not be an iguana. (laughs) Yeah. I.
0: It it hurt me. It, It hurt me. I. I, I, I don't want to talk about it anymore. I don't, I, don't, I,
1: don't, I, don't, I don't know if you noticed it. I, when the guy said he, he always comes to San Francisco, I said he came to New York and there were booze. I've never seen this
0: It was one of the inter, uh, entertaining scenes from uh, uh, the insane uh, anniversary film that they did that had everything in it, uh, Final Wars, uh, okay. where where he's the only CGI monster and the suit monster just crushes and kills him in a, in a second it was that was very redeeming <laughs> uh, but the rest but the rest of that movie's psychotic i mean like i
4: that were born there, would they be protected under the endangered species They're born in New York. Uh, They're an invasive species, though. The species is,
1: is determined by its country, its native native location of origin. So, By the way, just to let you know how true this is, uh, there actually is a case where uh, certain types of um, geese were imported into Maryland in the 19th or 18th century, uh, and they started uh, overpopulating a golf course. So... A local group wanted to, dist- uh, you know, take them out, and it came up as an environmental species act as to whether they were protected. And actually, the D.C. Court of Appeals said they were not because even though it, they had been in the United States, uh, situated in that location for 200 some years, it was known that they were non-native, and the law was interpreted that that's just the defining p- point. Yep. So. It was open. open season on tiny
4: zones. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Whales um, Yeah, like this person in
0: the ocean, like I do. Yeah. I,
1: well, the, <laughs> it, the answer is there probably are, but again, the way the treaties work, you have to identify them. Um, and um, yeah, the, yeah, there are actual cases of um, migratory species. The question is to if they migrate into the United States from like Asia, should they be protected? And actually, under the Migratory Bird Species Act, which is a unique act because of that problem, we do protect them.
0: So with that, thank you all. And you. we have we have uh, postcards for our blog and podcast. If you'd like to learn more, we'll hang out for other questions because we have two other panels in here. So hang out; it's, it'll be fun. My
4: father's.